Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. the 13th chapter and the 17th verse. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here, uh, several scriptures, and, and uh, so if you just try to keep up with me here. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, <clears throat> that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for it is unprofitable to you. <clears throat> In the 20th chapter, we're going to be jumping around a little bit on the scriptures. In the 20th chapter of Acts, in the 28th verse, these next two scriptures, we've got Acts 20 and uh, 1 Peter, the 5th chapter. But Acts 20, these are instructions to those that are the overseers. In fact, the Bible calls them that. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. <clears throat> and then in 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but for a of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So, there, there are two things that happen here. There's instructions. The last two were instructions to the individual who was the overseer or the pastor. And I'll explain a little bit more there. And, uh, and that was that the instructions were to take heed to yourselves, to feed the flock, which God has given uh, you as an overseer, to feed the flock which is among you, take the oversight thereof, amen, not by constraint, but willingly. You can't force anybody to do anything. Not for filthy lucre, not because you're making a lot of money, and God bless us, amen. We ain't there by any long stretch of imagination, but of a ready mind. Being as lords over God's heritage, not being, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And the second, the last, first one we read is an instruction to the church. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, I'm going to, <clears throat> I'm going to teach for a little while here. I, I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I want to finish what I have to say, and I will move along as quickly as possible. But there are some things that I need to make very, very clear in this church, and uh, I want folks to understand that. First of all, First Timothy, the third chapter, and I'm not going to read it right now, but it, it is the qualifications for a... Bishop, amen. And and Peter Paul is writing to Timothy and he gives him the qualifications for a bishop. He also writes to Titus and gives pretty much the same thing as a qualification for a bishop. He also gives qualifications for deacons, 
And I won't get into that right now. I could be um, going through all that. But basically, I'm not going to go through what the qualifications are for a bishop. We may go through that a later time. But what exactly is a bishop? A bishop, the word is presbyterius. Uh, it also it means an overseer. It means an administrator. Uh, it means someone that is a superintendent of the church. Is somebody that is has been given charge uh, of uh, the church. Another word that is used uh, in the same way. Now we we sometimes switch things around. We say, well, he's a pastor. He's a bishop. Um, he's a he's this. It's pretty much the same thing. It pretty much applies to the same thing. Amen. And uh, so. And a lot of times what we'll do just because we want to do this sort of thing, we'll have somebody who is a, a pastor and, and he retires and he becomes the bishop, which is the overseer, and, the, and then there comes the senior pastor and so on. And, and that's all right because let me explain something about a lot of the, of the way the church is set up. The Bible doesn't give a massive amount of information. It just sort of gives us some guidelines and lets us make it up as we go along. And that's no joke. Amen. I believe that God has given the church the ability, amen, to, to, to develop ministries and develop things as long as they are not against the Word of God. Amen. And, and that's why things change with culture as long as it does not go against the Word of God. Amen. And so we'll have a, you know, you don't find assistant pastors in the, you don't find youth leaders, you don't find all that stuff. But because of the way things work, we set things up. The Bible says, and we covered under governments and helps uh, and different ministries and service and so on. And so, but basically when we talk about what a bishop is or a shepherd is, it is an overseer or a pastor. It is an overseer of the flock that they have been given um, responsibility for. So as a pastor, we say pastor most of the time, but bishop would be all right, shepherd would be all right. It's just, as a pastor, it is my responsibility to have oversight of the church. Amen. And it is your responsibility to obey them that have the rule. Amen. 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 The Bible speaks, it's kind of interesting, because it speaks of Jesus as being the we, we, we like to call him the chief shepherd, the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. So it's the overseer, the one that has oversight. Amen. And, uh, and so the, in the church, though, the, the bishop or the pastor, we use pastor most of the time. It all means pretty much the same. Shepherd, pastor, and shepherd are interchangeable. They're oversight, bishop, and all of that. Pretty much it means the same thing. It only changes whenever we kind of change it around. Amen. And so, we uh, um, we have uh, we have the the bishop operates as a shepherd, the overseer, superintendent, all of that. It's his responsibility to oversee the flock, care for the flock, take oversight of the flock, not as a lord over God's heritage, but a pastor with oversight of over the church. Now, I need you to understand that we are all accountable to the authority that God has placed in our life. Amen. We may not think that we are, but we're accountable. And let me explain something to you. You're going to be accountable to someone for some, by some authority somewhere. 
Amen. There's a lot of anarchy in the streets today and people that call themselves anarchists. And anarchists are people that do not take authority. They say, we're not under authority. Amen. Now, now they'll find out what authority is uh, when they throw a Molotov cocktail and the police come with a nightstick and use their authority on their heads. Amen. Because, because everybody's going to be up under some authority. You say, I don't want to be under authority. I'll do what I want to. I'll guarantee you the prison guard is going to put you under their authority. Probably some other things in there too. So we just want to stay away from there. Amen. And so, so we're going to be under authority. So we need to be accountable to the authority that God places us under. Now I want, to, I want to, you to understand that as a pastor, I'm the authority over this church. Amen. But I'm also accountable to people. I have men in my life that I'm accountable to. I've mentioned this before. I'm accountable, amen, on an organizational on a, a, a level. I'm accountable to the UPC because I have made a choice to become part of that. But I'm also accountable to those men that we have placed in as a, as, as a board of elders. There's Brother Leonard Sansom, Brother uh, uh, Philip O'Brien, Brother Paul Connor. And they speak into my life, both of them. And Brother, Brother O'Brien, the other day, he said, I don't have a whole lot to say. I said, you got a whole lot more to say that's valuable than you think you do. And I don't know how many times uh, that Brother Connor, for instance, I'll call him or he'll call me. Uh, Brother Paul Connor's a funny guy. He's, he's not a phone guy. He's not the guy that you're going to spend an hour talking on the phone with. But he'll call me out of the blue and he'll say, hey, just one talk. You know, and so we'll get to talking. And maybe at that point, I am fired up about something, and I have, I'm upset about something or whatever. And, and multiple times in my life, I have, I, have, I have vented to him, and he'll say two or three words and just settle things down, speaking to my spirit. Like, oh, okay, thanks, I appreciate it. He's, he's nine months older than me, but there's been so many times that, that, that and whenever I went down with COVID, him and Brother O'Brien were here. Y'all remember that he would—they were there here, and they spoke faith into the church. Amen. And uh, and and whenever they had a horrible disaster in the church, he called me because I happened to be on the board of elders of Faith Tabernacle too. He called me and said, "I want you to come preach over here." So I've made myself accountable. He's made himself accountable. And I and I've because I believe that there needs to be authority in our life, and there needs to be people who speak. And God has placed me as the authority in this church. As the pastor. And so we need to understand that we need to be accountable to that authority. Why? Because they watch for your souls as they must give account. Amen. I have to give account for you. Amen. There's going to come a day when I give a report. And there's an interesting thing here when we begin to read this scripture. Uh, when we begin to read that, we find out that it's not just about me giving account, but there's a whole lot of responsibility that weighs on your shoulders too. Amen. It says, I, you know, I have to give account that I may do it with joy so that when the day I stand before the Lord, and he says, what about Sister Sandra? I could say, oh, Lord, she was a faithful saint of God. She lived for you. She did everything that I asked her to do. She, was a, she won souls. She, she, she loved people. She loved her pastor. She loved her pastor's wife. She loved the saints of God. She loved souls and all that. And I'm so happy to be able to say that. That it may be 
with joy. Amen. So that I can give a good report. And not with grief. Because I want you to notice something here. Not that that is unprofitable for me, but it's unprofitable for you. Amen. If I stand there and say, you know, brother so-and-so, I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried. I did what I could, but they refused to submit to the authority that God has placed them under. And they did their own thing. God's not, from the looks of it from the scripture, I'm not the one that catches it there. Because if I did my part, it's not unprofitable for me. It's unprofitable for you. And so we need to be accountable to the man. And like I said, there are those that I've placed in my life. And, I've, and I've, I mentioned this the other day whenever I was talk, preaching at some point, that there was a point where I literally had to go when I, when I was in the hospital with COVID. And I had to go to Brother O'Brien and say, I am sorry that I did not listen to what you said. Amen. I had to make myself, I had to submit myself because he walked to me in authority when he said what he did. He came as a friend, but he came as, as someone that I'd placed as a, as a and I, I love to give these guys a hard time. I love to give guys like Brother O'Brien and Brother Paul Connor a hard time because I'll refer to them as elder when they're only a little older than me. I told you all about Brother Art Vanderhoff. One day we sat at the table, I said, well, elder this and elder that. He goes, Chris... I'm not much older than you. I said, how old are you? He said, 62. I said, you're right. You're not much older than me. But you are older than me, <laughs> elder. And so, um, <laughs> amen. But, uh, but I, I have got to be accountable. And you've got to be accountable to the authority that God places in your life. It's a dangerous thing when we step out of the authority that God has placed us under. It is a dangerous thing when you step out of the authority that God places you under. Jude speaks quite graphically in the first chapter. It's the only chapter, but first chapter starts in the 11th verse. Woe unto them, for they have gone after the way of Cain. And Jude deals with three different issues here. Cain, which was, which was um, which wrath and anger. It was an offended spirit. Amen. He said they've gone after the way of Cain, they've gotten offended, and they won't let go of it. And there's bitterness there. He said they have ran greedily after the error of Balaam, amen, for, for reward. They were greedy. And he said and perish in the gainsaying and the rebellion, if you will, of Korah. He said these are spots in your feast of charity. And what he's saying about this is that, that these, these who do this... Uh, are spots. The word for spots is spilos. The Greek word is spilos. It means rocks or reefs uh, that are underneath the surface. Uh, they, are, they are things that cause shipwreck. That's what it is. These are spots in your feast of charity. They feast uh, with you, feeding themselves without fear. They are clouds that are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withered, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, roots waging Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. This is what happens when you get out of the authority that God places you in. There's an interesting thing. I've preached this before. But the Bible says, lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalms 23. And the paths there are, are the, uh, the word is a, is a circular orbit. It means to, to orbit. 
In other words, it's like the shepherd and the sheep. When the shepherd would walk through the pasture, um, <laughs> the paths were, he would walk straight, but the, but the, the sheep would work eating and, and, and grazing in an orbit around him. And as long as they stayed close to the shepherd, they were safe. If they got out of the paths of righteousness, then they became as wandering stars. They began to wander themselves, wander into areas that were dangerous and so on. And so there's a danger in getting out of the authority that God places us into. We have a responsibility to stay under the authority. So we begin to, when having said that, um, we begin to look at the duties and responsibilities of a bishop. Let's just use bishop here instead of, hold on. We're just going to use bishop instead of pastor or shepherd. But the responsibilities of a bishop. Now, Paul spoke to two bishops. In He spoke to Timothy. He was the bishop of Ephesus. He was the pastor or the overseer of Ephesus. And he spoke to Titus, who was the pastor, the bishop, or the overseer of Crete. And you'll find that if you read that. Um, read the book of Titus. You'll find that. And he told Timothy this. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And again and again and again I've made this statement. Too many voices is confusion. And we have had many, many voices that have tried to come against this church and bring confusion. Amen. It is not of God. Amen. And so they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from truth and shall be turned into fables. I'm going to say something right here. Everybody thinks they're not that guy. Everybody thinks that they can go on and do things and, and, uh, and, and, and mess around with all kinds of different things. And it will never catch up with them. I've been in this thing for all of my life. I've been preaching for 46 years, maybe 47 years, 47 years. I've been preaching for 47, 40, I was 15. Yeah, 46 years. I'm just trying to figure out. I've been preaching a long, long time. I've seen it come. I've seen it go. This isn't my first rodeo. I've seen all kinds of things. I've watched people come. I've watched people go, and I know how it operates, and they're a shipwreck if you get out from under the authority that God has placed you under. I can tell you that right now, and so he said, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, evangelist make full proof of thy ministry. And he also instructed Timothy to be apt to teach. So he said, I want you to do this. I want you to preach. I want you to be in season. I want you to reprove. I want you to rebuke. He told Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you, Titus, who was the bishop of Crete. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delve into some things right here that I think are very, very, very important. I want you to listen to me. Um, I, 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 there are some things that you will not find in the New Testament. Amen. There is not a lot. There is not a lot of people that have the responsibility and the duty of rebuking and reproving the church. There's not. Amen. 
In fact, the right to rebuke or reproof is quite limited in the New Testament. It is quite limited. I'm going to show you. I'll give you some examples. There is this. Here's one. Luke, uh, the 17th chapter, the third verse. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke, or that means to admonish or inform him of the issue between you, and if he repents, forgive you. Forgive him. And what that means is if, if, uh, if Sister Chas does something and offends me, then I need to go to her and say, hey, Sister Chas, you've offended me. You uh, whatever, you know, and, and, and not in a, a mean way and not in a, a, a screaming way and not in I'm going to tear you apart. But, hey, listen, you know, you know, you uh, you made you made fun of my blue suede shoes. So, I mean, no, but uh, I see. Yeah, I, I don't think it's right that you do this. And and she says, you know, I you know, if it if we're right, if we have the right spirit and I come in the right spirit and she's got the right spirit. Then more than likely she's going to say, OK, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. OK, that's good. You know, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I just wanted to make you aware of that. That's what the scripture means. Amen. And then there are other things that you can do if they, you cannot find reconciliation. You can go with uh, some others and then you can go with the church and take it before the church. And, and we hope that that is not the sort of thing that needs to happen. Amen. And I think that, that usually what would happen if there's a really egregious situation where there's a fence and you can't work it out, you come to the pastor and the pastor goes with you, works with, and then we go from there. Amen. And that's the way that most issues should be dealt with there in private. And that's what it means when if, you're, if you've got an issue, if he's trespassed against you, if there's an issue, let's get together privately. Brother Jacob, I, 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 you know, you said this, it hurt my feelings. I, I didn't, I, you know, maybe you didn't mean it that way, but uh, may, maybe you did, but whatever. I, it really hurt my feelings. And you say, you know, I didn't mean to do that, and, uh, or I was in a bad mood that day, and I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. That's what that means. Amen. That's what it's talking about there. The other, another one about is Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. This does not mean, and I'm going to say this right here, what was recently taken out of context, uh, amen, where we can go around rebuking and reproving our brethren every time we think they're doing something wrong. That means we're supposed to stand against sin. Amen, amen. Amen. We stand against the unfruitful works of darkness. Amen. It means we preach against perversity. It means we preach against sin. Amen. It doesn't mean that I run around pretending I'm a fruit inspector and rebuking everybody because I think they're doing wrong. Because you don't have the authority to do that. It was recently taken totally out of context. Amen. And that was wrong. Amen. 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 And so uh, we are disciple makers. We teach, we encourage, we help, we comfort, we use the word to build, but having a cadre of folks uh, who think they are the enforcers uh, is a problem. Amen. The scripture reproves us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. The read and preach, the word of God, teaches, reproves, corrects, and instructs. Amen. Now, there's going to be times, I want to say this, where authority is given. 
There's times when authority is given by the pastor, delegated by the pastor, and, and, uh, and, and authority to take care of certain things. There may be an individual that comes in that is not the pastor. And, uh, and because of their, their, their seniority or their eldership or because they have had the experience, I may say, take your liberty to do what you need to do. And that is giving authority. Amen. The Bible speaks in one thing, one place of usurping authority. The Bible literally says, I would not suffer a woman to teach or to usurp authority. That means to take authority. Amen. But there are times whenever, you know, you may give authority and it is not taken. You may give authority to do certain things. Now, I, I know that. But taking authority that is not yours or usurping authority is simply wrong. It's not scriptural. Amen. So who, to whom is the responsibility to rebuke and to reprove given. If you will look at the scripture, if you will look at the New Testament, the only ones that really have the main authority is the bishop. Now, as I said, the bishop may delegate to elders and to others in the church for certain things, but it is the bishop that has the authority. You do not find in the New Testament authority given to anybody else for that. I just covered where reproof and rebuke is used. Uh, the scripture rebukes, uh, amen. We rebuke the unfruitful, reprove the unfruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, uh, amen. And we rebuke our brother or we admonish him, the word literally means, uh, if there is offense that is created. And we take care of it, amen. But when it comes to rebuking the church, the authority is the pastors. That is the word of God. Amen. And so, as I read earlier to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. This is the bishop of Ephesus. To Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Where did they receive that authority? Apostolic authority was given them by the Apostle Paul. And that same authority through the Word of God is given to the pastor of the church today. Amen. Here's something that's interesting, okay? Let's talk a little bit about prophecy, tongues interpretation. I'm going to be dealing with a lot of this stuff in the near future because I believe that we need to understand the use and the abuse of these things. Amen. And, and there is a reason why that God places a pastor in a church, and it is to make sure that things are done decently and in order. Now, you may not really like that, but it doesn't really make a difference because this is the Word of God that I'm talking about here. Amen. And so... So let's look at this. Let's look at, let's look at prophecy in the Bible, okay? In the Old Testament, we have a lot of different situations. We have, we have, uh, we have a lot of prophets. But in the New Testament, it is a totally different dynamic. We will find, and I'm just going to mention some things here, because there is absolutely a place for prophecy. There is absolutely a place for prophets. It is part of the fivefold ministry 
There's absolutely a place for, um, for tongues and interpretation. The Bible says very, very clearly to quench not the spirit and despise not prophesying. Amen. The Bible says to covet the next gift. However, the Bible says everything should be done decently and in order. Now, I'm going to kind of clear. I'm going to go into that a little bit more. But there, there is not, it's interesting about prophecy in the New Testament. There's not a huge amount of, of mentioned or, or emphasis or talk about prophets in themselves. There is only one named prophet in the New Testament. Anybody tell me who that was? No. Okay, now let me let me say this. We're not talking. Let's talk about the church. The New Testament, yes, John the Baptist was, you're right there. But there and there were people like John the Revelator who wrote prophecy. And there was Paul who wrote prophecy in Thessalonians. Just that they shall not come except the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. But there was only one man that was named that I could think of right now other than referring to Old Testament prophets. But in the church there was only one man that was specifically named a prophet. Does nobody know? who the only prophet was. He was in the 11th chapter, I believe, in Acts and the 20th chapter of Acts. Nope. Agabus was his name. Come on, people. Agabus was the only named prophet in the New Testament church. Now, there was prophecy that was given at times. You realize that? He was the only named prophet in the New Testament church. There were other prophets. Paul spoke of that. Even in, in both, I believe it was in both the 11th, and I'm, I'm, I think I got the chapters right, both the 11th and the 20th, maybe the 21st chapter, it talks about, and prophets uh, came from Jerusalem unto Antioch, uh, and, uh, and it was 11 and 21. Prophets came from Jerusalem and to Antioch, and Agabus was with them. Agabus was the only one that there are prophecies recorded outside of Revelations, outside of Thessalonians, outside of the, the, the really fast prophecy, prophecy that Peter did when he said, the, the feet of the men that carried your husband out, are you going to carry you out too, Sapphira? That was a prophecy. Happened right then. Amen. But, uh, but it was the only named prophet in the Bible that I could, I, I'm trying to think if there was any, or in the New Testament. There was, uh, there were other, the Bible says there were prophets that came with Agabus. They came from Jerusalem and to Antioch, and then later on when they were in Philippi, I believe it was. No, it wasn't Philippi, it was, um, never mind. They were Philip the Evangelist. The Bible says that the, he had four virgin daughters that prophesied, even though it did not refer to them as prophetesses. It just said they prophesied. And the Bible says uh, that it, it, it speaks about covering, that, that a woman should be covered when she prays or prophesies, and so on and so forth. And, and we've talked about that before. We'll probably talk about that be, again. But, uh, and so, but there's only one, and that's Agabus. Now, what Agabus did... He, did, he made two prophecies that are recorded outside of Revelations and some of the writings of others. He made two prophecies that were recorded. First of all, he told them he came uh, from uh, Antioch, or Jerusalem to Antioch. He said there's going to be a famine in the whole world, and there was. And then later on he told, he told uh, Paul, he said... He, he actually told, there was, Paul was in the company. He took Paul's, uh, the, his, the, the, the girdle, they call it, was around him, and he put it on his hands, and he said, the man who wears this is going to be bound in Jerusalem. And so it was, a, it was telling what was going to happen. And so 
That was the only two times that it was recorded. Amen. Now, there, as I said, there are a few references to prophets who came from Jerusalem to Antioch with Agabus and the four virgin uh, daughters of Philip the Evangelist. And, and we know that prophets are a part of the fivefold ministry. And let me explain something about that. Um, I believe that, that uh, there are those that are especially gifted, uh, amen, in prophecy. I believe that they move in the prophetic. And I'm not going to, but I can name several people that I feel have moved more than average in the prophetic. They're, and typically what they are, they are, there's one that I know in particular who I have watched move in the prophetic a variety of times, and it's powerful. But let me tell you something about that man. That man is a submitted man. He is submitted to his pastor. He's an evangelist, but he's submitted to his pastor. Just the other day I was talking to him, and he made a statement. He said, my pastor told me to do this. I said, what? He told me. He said, I'm going to do it. He said, because my pastor told me to do that. And, uh, and so typically when you find these, they are men that are also submitted, also submitted. They are powerful in the gospel. But not only that, but I believe a lot of the prophetic happens with the preaching of the word. You see, prophecy is not just foretelling. Amen. It's not just foretelling. Amen. It is sometimes foretelling. In fact, and I'll, I'll use this effort, reference, even though there's a lot of different, the Old Testament prophets, much of what they did was preaching more than it was foretelling what was going to happen. They would preach. They were preachers. Amen. Even the Bible talks about Jonah, although he did a lot of foretelling. It said he preached to Nineveh. It was Jonah the prophet. And so we, uh, we find this, and, and, uh, and, and there is this, what happens is I believe that a lot of prophetic moves from the pulpit and there are many times that the pastor comes as the prophet to the church. Amen. Now, that's not always, but I believe that there is definitely a prophetic. I have known it many times when I have been preaching, and I have felt the anointing of the Holy Ghost come upon me. And I know that there's a prophetic spirit upon me. And that's not bragging. I'm just saying that is. I don't call myself a prophet. I'm a pastor. Amen. And typically... We know who pastors are. We know who bishops are because they, you know, you, the guy, somebody comes, he he's pastors a church, he builds a church, he builds a church up. We know he's pastoring the church. It's, it's, it's one thing to say this is the pastor. But I'll tell you what, most people who claim they are prophets and apostles and put that little moniker in front of their name and go around telling people I'm this apostle and I'm that prophet, they are probably not a prophet and an apostle. I told this about a, a guy not too long ago who, who thought he was a great prophet and, and he got completely off the deep end. I think I told about a Sunday. He went completely off the deep end and then he went and started a school for apostles and prophets where you could pay $300 and he would give you a certificate as a prophet or apostle. That's all you had to do is go through that little school, give him $300 and you could have it. You go around and say, I'm Apostle Jacob. That's sheer stupidity. But, but the, the gift of God makes room for itself. So we find there are those that operate in the prophetic. 
Amen. And, and so on. But I will, I will say this, that whenever we look at that, and that's, that's kind of a different situation. But when we look at, when we go into, the Bible speaks about gifts of tongues and gifts of interpretation and gifts of, of prophecy. Let's find out what they mean and what they do. Here's the thing. We find that, that the gift of tongues, and if you look in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, you'll, you'll notice this, that the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, and I'm not going to get into a lot of depth here because there are certain things. If you'll notice something, the Bible says by two or at the most three, amen, there needs to be a, an interpretation. And if you'll notice something, I, I don't like to just let it go haywire and hog wild because there needs to be order in the church. And, and, I, and, and, and I, I'm not going to ask forgiveness or I'm not going to apologize when I shut things down because they need to be shut down. Because that's my job as the pastor. That is my responsibility. If you resist that, you're resisting the authority that God has placed. Amen. And so, so because, I, because I, let me, let me just say a few things. There are some... I believe strongly in tongues of interpretation. I believe strongly in the power of God. I believe strongly in prophetic utterance. I believe strongly in the gifts of the Spirit. And they are practiced in this church. But I also believe that as the pastor of this church, as the bishop, if you will, of this church, that God has given me the responsibility to make sure things are done in the way they're supposed to be done. And I am responsible not to you, but to God if I allow it out of hand. My dad grew up in a time, my dad grew up in a time when they had something called later, latter rain. He grew up in a time, and I grew up whenever the third wave, the charismatic movement was going on. And I watched things that happened in that. And my dad watched things that happened in that. And my granddad was around when things went crazy. They used to call it wildfire. They used to call it wildfire. I'm just, I'm just talking to the church. Uh, but my, we used to joke, if we got wildfire around here, we got plenty of wet blankets to put it out. <laughs> but, which is sometimes true. But, uh, but they used to call it wildfire. And, and, you, would, and, and uh, you, you would look at uh, Azusa. Azusa started out fantastic. And then it went off the rails, if you will. <laughs> because there was no order that was in it. I don't mean we can't have good church. I don't mean that we can't shout and run and worship and speak in tongues, uh, amen, and, and prophesy and, and, and have tongues and interpretation and healings and faith and everything that goes along with being an apostolic church. But if it gets out of the realm of decency, decency and order, then something needs to be taken care of. I'm going to teach some more on that. I've got some lessons that I'm going to be teaching on. But... Um, my dad would watch things. I've told about this to some people, but one day they were they were um, they were at a place, and there was a woman there. I believe her name was Gladys, and uh, if I remember correctly, if it wasn't Gladys, that's a good name to give her because that's just a cool name. But anyway, I believe her name was Gladys, though, and uh, and so my dad and brother Del Struble were there at this service, and it was going off the charts, and this woman got up, and she began to prophesy, and she went on and on and on and on. She was saying this, and she was saying that, 
Amen. And my daughter told me about somewhere that she knows of where where the the uh, where the there's a there's a lady in that church that they'll give five or six, seven, eight, nine, ten words of interpretation, and she'll give a prophecy that goes on for an hour. I'm not sure how that works. But uh, so there was going on, and Gladys was going on and on and on and on, and she was saying this, and she was saying that, and she began to realize uh, that she was losing her audience uh, because her audience realized that she was full of baloney. And she says, Yea, I say unto thee, you think this is not me, but this is me. And she was trying to convince everybody that the Lord was still speaking. Brother Del Struble, Elder Del Struble, said, <clears throat> Yes, Gladys, we know it's you. <laughs> and so there has to be, there has to be control. But here's the thing about prophecy. The Bible says this in the gifts of tongue interpretation and 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 uh, prophecy. What are they for? Let me tell you what they are not for. The Bible does not give them. The Bible does not give them the responsibility or the right of rebuke and reproof. 1 Corinthians tells us, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Amen. That the church may receive edifying and that all may be comforted. When God begins to do that in his service, it, it, those are the reasons, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Why does God not give the right of rebuke to that? Because that is the responsibility of the pastor. Well, it's God. Not if it's rebuke. Because that is the responsibility of the pastor. You need to understand that. I'm not pulling this out of my ear. I'm telling you this is what the word of God says. And so, I, and, I, and I'm going to probably do some more teaching over that. But it is, it, is the, it is the duty God has set the overseer, the bishop, the pastor, or the shepherd with the duty of rebuke and repu reproving the church. Amen. What happens when everybody takes upon themselves, whether it is in going to some people and telling things or, or in tongues of interpretation or prophecy, what happens whenever everybody decides to take upon themselves the responsibility or the authority to reprove and to rebuke? It causes discord. It causes strife. It causes disunity. Amen. The Scripture tells us to quench not the spirit and despise not prophesying, but even the gifts can be used out of order if you are not careful. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. The Bible says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Let all things be done decently and in order. I suspect that what was happening, and I'm going to be closing here in a minute because it went a little longer than I expected to, what was happening in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had a lot of problems. It had fornication going on. It had a lot of sin. But I suspect what was going on in that church is things were going a little crazy in service. 
Wasn't that they weren't having good church. They probably having good church. But things had gotten a little hand, out, of, out of hand. And somebody said, Paul, I don't know if this is a good idea. And Paul wrote, he said, look, there are certain things to do. This is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. This is the way you do it. And there's a reason that God places a pastor in the midst of the church. He is there to oversee. As I've said, there are times when I step up and take control of the service. There's times I just let God move. Amen. But if it gets to a place where I feel like God has stopped moving and, and other things are happening, then it's time that I will step up. Because God has not only given me the right, but he has given me the responsibility to do so. That is the word of God. Amen. I do not take this duty lightly, and many times it is an unpleasant job, but God placed me here, and I must do his will. I've said this before. When I came back here, I struggled being here. I even tried to leave several times. My wife could tell you that we went, we, we, we looked at a couple of churches because I was not absolutely sure about things. We went and, and, and here was the interesting thing about both of those places. The moment I drove into those towns, I knew beyond a shadow of doubt that we were not going to go there. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was no doubt at all in my mind. And, and they, one of them, we preached at a church there that was nominally a United Pentecostal church. And, and it had been run... By it was a it was pure Laodicea. It had been run by the laity. The people of the church had taken over, and I sat down with them at lunch, and and I knew I wasn't going, but we were talking, and they said we like our church the way it is, and if, if you come, we would we would appreciate if you didn't preach certain things. I said, well, <laughs> that's not the way it is because if I come, I'm gonna preach the word of God. I, but I knew, I knew. That I wasn't going there the day, the minute I drove in. We drove into another town. I remember coming out of the mountains into this town. Nice town. Uh, a good-sized town. 50,000 people. Uh, tons of uh, potential. And I'd always liked it before. And I drove in there and I felt this, this darkness settle over me. And I knew right then and there that I was not going to that town to pastor. You know why? Because God had put me right here. To pastor this church. And he has kept me here. Through thick or thin. There's been a lot of thin and some pretty good thick too. But he's kept me here through thick or thin. And although I, I at times I have voiced my displeasure to God. I was telling somebody that when I go on my walks, which I... I've started calling my prayer walks. When I go on my walks, I don't do, I don't pray much like I pray in here. Well, Lord, we worship you, Lord, and all that kind of stuff, and trying to stir, you know, you know, trying to get the spirit moving, and, and that's fine because you know there's different times and different ways of prayer. Amen. But but uh, uh, when I'm walking, I'm like this, Lord. You know, I don't know why I've got to go through this situation. And I've wondered about this. There's nobody else around probably for miles. Nobody can hear me, although I told you a story about a guy walking up on me not too long ago when I was walking, scared the daylights out of me. But, Lord, you know, I, I don't understand. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to charge you foolishly. I, but I have some questions. And, God, I don't know why, why. Lord, why is this happening? And, Lord, why is that happening? And, God, you know, and then I'll say things like, Lord, I've, I've been faithful. You know, I, well, there are times, Lord, and, 
and so on. <laughs> and we have conversations that I talk to the Lord and God works. Amen. Because, and, and there's times I'll say, Lord, I don't understand. But what I do know is that God called me to this place. He put me here. He has placed me as the pastor of this church, as your pastor, if you'll let me be your pastor. Amen. And to do the things that God has called me to do. Hallelujah. I don't take this duty lightly. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. And again, I say sometimes it's an unpleasant job, but God's placed me here. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what God called me to do. We like to say without fear or favor. Amen. Church, I want you to know something. I've been through a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of stuff. I've fought a lot of battles. I felt pretty whipped at times. But I'm going to tell you something. God called me, and God has never failed me. Never once. Never once. And I mentioned it the other day. Brother, Brother Garrett, in a very prophetic way, I feel, he does this. I told him, I said, Brother Garrett, I need some relief. And he began to speak in tongues and speak to my spirit. He said, God did not call. And if you know Brother Garrett and you know his voice, God did not call Chris Keys and take him to the point of death and put you in that building to fail. He said, God is going to take care of things. Amen. And I am thankful to be the pastor of this church. I have no intention to be Lord over God's heritage because that would be a violation of the word of God. Amen. But I'm grateful to be pastor because I love this church and I love this people. Amen. And I'm grateful for God. God has been so good to us. Hasn't he? God has been so good to us. Oh, let's worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just love the Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I praise you, God. I magnify you, Lord. 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 I magnify you, Lord.